Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly. Sponsored by Insperity. HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. Hey, I'm Michael Kelly. That guy over there is John Hancock, and it's Cinco de Mayo. Computer doesn't work. Microphone won't stand up. It's Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo. What does that even mean? It's uh, the 5th of May, buddy. It's uh, Well, I understand it's the 5th of May. Why is it even significant? Well, because in the history of Mexico, Michael, uh-huh. uh, the 5th of May was a very important historic date. Tell me why. Because you had, uh, you know, you had the Pancho Villa over here. No, and, you're lying. Uh, it's a yearly celebration held on May 5th, which commemorates the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire. That's what that was it. And the Battle of Puebla. In 1862. 1862. It's not even the Mexican Independence Day. Well, but they beat the they beat the Spain the Spaniards or the I, French. It was at the French. They the beat, French. Well, the second can't French beat the French Empire. Yeah. I mean, really. I mean, the French. But that, that's nothing to well, celebrate. Let's be honest. Isn't this really more of an Americanized holiday? Because I have actually been in Mexico on Cinco de Mayo, and yeah. nobody down there celebrating Cinco de Mayo. Is that right? I think this is an American thing. I think it was dreamt up by the Mexican restaurants so that we'll all go there and spend a bunch of money. Well, that's going to happen. And uh, let me strongly recommend the uh, chimichanga. You like the chimichanga? So here's my problem with Mexican food. Yeah. I love Mexican food, I so I want to be clear. But it's all the same. I don't care if you get the, the, the burrito, the fajita, the tacos. Yeah. It's just the way they wrap the food up. It's all the same stuff, the same ingredients, well, the same spices. True, Michael. And it's not ra- and it's just the, the way they wrap it up. You got the chicken over there, and you, sometimes you get a little beef on there. I understand, but Throw you get what I'm saying, that, don't you? The, the fajita. You don't uh, get me. Nothing like a fajita. You're not feeling me, huh? A little uh, sour cream on that thing. I'm telling you right now, you give me the ingredients bell peppers. of bell peppers, onions, Throw chicken, some onions meat, in there. some spice. Yeah. Some rice, a little some cilantro. beans. I can make you any Mexican Sprinkle dish a little cilantro on any Mexican menu. Yeah, it's like the the easiest food in the world to prepare because it's all the same thing, just wrapped differently. Rice and beans, or in the case of a fajita, it's not wrapped. And why do they bring fajitas well, out? You do wrap sizzling your like but that, but you wrap your own fajita. That's what I like about the fajita. But you're you're driving the bus. Why of does the it fajita? have to come out sizzling and and that horrible smell? And, and then the it gets in your clothes, and now you're going to have to go home, what's and you're not going to wear those clothes again. What is the matter with what you? What do you mean? What's the matter? With it me? doesn't smell bad. The, the skillet comes out. Yeah. Here. Yes, yes. So then they put it down, and the first thing they yes. say to you is, don't touch it, it's hot. Yes, oh, no they, got the, they got the little hot? the little oven mitt on there, and they, they put it down on the table, and it's sizzling away, and a little beef is uh-huh. doing its thing. Dancing. You a margarita guy? Uh, I can do it. Yeah. You, you prefer them, uh, do you prefer them uh, just as the liquid or frozen? I like them cold. Uh, well, Hello. Uh, but so in liquid form or frozen form? Yeah, I think the liquid form is probably uh, the way to go. Put a little salt on the rim there. Yeah, I don't mind the frozen one, and if I was to prefer it, I, I'd go with the frozen. But somebody to once told me yeah. that to make alcohol frozen like that, there's extra sugar in them Ooh. because they wouldn't stay frozen. Huh. And so uh, I've kind of abandoned frozen margaritas because they tell me that there's more sugar in them than regular margaritas. That is fascinating. Yeah. And what a public service you have provided. And I want a, a big thank you to our listener, our anonymous listener. Oh, yeah. Who sent us... Uh, and by the way, who sends stuff anonymously? I don't know, but they sent us a snooker hats, little uh, hats with our names on it, a little snooker player on mm-hmm. the front of it. Uh, John Hancock is what mine says. And mine says Michael Kelly, missing an E. Well, but I'm right. grateful for the thought. It yeah, that was kind very of somebody kind. to send it over. We look like a couple of NASCAR drivers uh, when we have them And on. whoever you are, uh, we want you to know that your gift was received and is appreciated, and, and we thank you. Maybe on some day when we're playing snooker and we're all snookered, uh, we'll put those hats on and take a picture and post it on social media. You can never, uh, you can never wait. So, a uh, big show today, Michael. We're going to be joined by our own Tom Ackerman at the top of the big hour. Big night for Tommy. Big night for Tom. We're going to find out what's going on in his life. Uh, and Ambassador Kevin O'Malley, the former, former U.S. Ambassador, ambassador to Ireland. Ireland, is going to be in studio with us at 9.30 this morning. Lots coming your way. KMOX, the 2023 Large Market Radio Station of the Year, recognized by the Missouri Broadcast. Broadcasters Association, KMOX. We were built for this. Hello there. It's Hancock and Kelly on Cinco de Mayo coming to you from downtown St. Louis. Thank you for listening to KMOX, the greatest radio station in the world. We've got an exciting day of radio for we you. We're going to stick around all the way till almost 11 o'clock. We are. We're going to join Chris Ranji yeah. and Amy Marks, course, for the aptly named The Show. The Show. 
And uh, then we got to bolt out of here. And uh, if you can see us on Sunday morning on Hancock and Kelly, the television show at yeah. 830. There we are. And, John, I have a feeling this topic will be what we'll be talking about, and that is the surprise resignation yesterday of Kim Gardner. Yes. Kim Gardner, the embattled circuit attorney who uh, for years, almost six years now, has been in the circuit attorney's office. She's lost nearly every staff member she had from day one. Uh, finally, yesterday, after revelations uh, were come out from local news media that she was in the midst of not being able to show up for courts, uh, for court hearings, was going to school for a nursing degree at St. Louis University. And you think that was the straw? You think that the nursing degree was the straw that I broke mean, the How back? can you sit there and tell folks that, you know, I'm overwhelmed, etc.? While you're over learning in school, I mean, what is with these politicians who sign up for jobs, important jobs? This isn't the dog catcher. This is the circuit attorney, um, an important job, and doesn't have the time to devote that completely to well, that job. This is a hundred and eighty thousand dollar a year job. One hundred and seventy, and you give her a raise. Well, uh, yeah, one hundred and seventy thousand dollars a year yeah. for that, and she's going to the nursing school. Now, the dog catcher is important if uh, they're not doing their job because you got dogs everywhere. Right. Well, uh, we have criminals everywhere, and uh, the, apparently there was enough time for the circuit attorney to go uh, to, um, you know, nursing school. So but you, John, uh, that, that is interesting. So you really think that the nursing Well, I mean, pursuits, how many more things could come out yeah, on her? I mean, yeah. she was starting to look like Clarence Thomas. It was drip, 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 drip. <laughs> uh, things were coming out left and right. Uh, of course, Kim Gardner continued on her uh, sad story of being a victim that is being... That uh, targeted me. for that inf- racial, gender, and uh, being, yeah. you know, the prosecutor from the city of St. Louis. I would argue to you, John, that her obstinance and her inability to do her job has actually fed into the narrative that many Republicans have been pushing about the dysfunction and the inability of the city of St. Louis to actually do anything. It, I found it interesting yesterday on Twitter and other social media platforms, Republicans from across the state of Missouri mm-hmm. were celebrating the fact that Kim Gardner was going. That right there is evidence that Kim Gardner is further causing problems for St. Louis. Now, it's understood that maybe there was a deal cut to allow local control to stay here in the city of St. Louis, that the special prosecutor and the effort to remove her would go away. I don't like to see that because she's going to get off scot-free. But I have to tell you, I think most St. Louisans, and for that matter, people here in the bi-state region, just took a nice exhale yesterday that finally this nightmare is about over with. Yeah, and except uh, the the immediate nightmare of Kim Gardner and her inability to execute an office is over uh, or will be over on the 1st of June, another three weeks left. Uh, but the the rehabilitation of that office is going to take a very long time. You've got a situation where all of the uh, line, pros- most of the line prosecutors have resigned, left the office. You've got a caseload into the hundreds, if not thousands uh, that aren't being dealt with or assigned or litigated You've got defendants who can't have access to a trial because there are no prosecutors in the office. And you don't just wave a magic wand and suddenly fill up an office full of prosecutors. You've got to hire people. And uh, I don't know how what the short-term situation is going to be. I know that Joe McCullough, who's the new prosecuting attorney in St. Charles County, appointed by County Executive Steve Elman, he made an offer yesterday or the day before to provide – uh, prosecutorial support to the city of St. Louis. I would imagine Wesley Bell uh, may well do the same in St. Louis County. There are a number of attorneys who work now at law firms in St. Louis, some of our major law firms who uh, came out of that prosecuting attorney's office who have experience there and have worked cases there that they might be willing to pitch in and lend a hand. But this is going to be all hands on deck in the short term, the governor's uh, governor Mike Parson is going to appoint uh, a circuit attorney who will serve out the remainder of Kim Gardner's term, which uh, comes to an end uh, in, in uh, with the twenty twenty four elections in November. So, but there is so much to do in that office and so much rehabilitation to be done. And meanwhile, all of these cases are still pending, and nobody's showing up, and that's why. I think Andrew Bailey, the attorney general, is doing the right thing by trying to hasten Kim Gardner's exit even before June the 1st. 
Well, I wish she'd go today. Um, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I'm thrilled she's going. Part of the narrative that's going to emerge here is that people are going to say that this was targeting progressive thought process that wants to redo what prosecutions should look like in this country. And that's a false argument. It is. You simply have to look uh, to St. Louis County, where there is a progressive prosecutor who has come in and has new progressive ideas wanting to reform the criminal justice system, but was still being able to meet the daily tasks of the office. Yes. And, and look, I think there's general agreement that there's no societal interest in throwing a bunch of nonviolent offenders in prison. And, you know, I don't fundamentally have a disagreement with that, you know. But you've got violent criminals, and we've got them by the hundreds in St. Louis. They need to have the book thrown at them. They need to be locked away. They need to be taken off the street. You're not talking about nonviolent, victimless crimes. These crimes all have victims, some of them dead. And those folks need to be handled. Wesley Bell is doing that in St. Louis County. Kim Gardner never has in the city of St. Louis. Now, we still have a crime problem in the city of St. Louis, and for that matter, the entire region that we are dealing with. And the spotlight for the last year or so has been directly on Kim Gardner. Well, I think we're going to see that spotlight now refocus back on City Hall, the Board of Aldermen, and the police chief, uh, Chief Tracy, as people want to see crime uh, be addressed in the city of St. Louis. You know, it was easy for the distraction to be about prosecutions. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is people are still out there, uh, you know, un- unfettered, essentially, in a sense of lawlessness in this city. And while a lot of those uh, politicians and other leaders may have kept quiet over the last year or so because they didn't want to get caught up in the political damage, they probably should be aware that the spotlight's coming back on them. I hope so, and it needs to, because, you know, it's one thing, and Gardner, among the myriad of problems she had, was there were a whole slew of police officers for whom she wouldn't take their evidence into account in these cases. That was wrong. But there's a policing problem as well. And uh, part of that policing problem is driven by the simple fact that we just don't have the numbers of police that we need. We're way under census here. The voters of St. Louis some years ago passed uh, a Proposition P in St. Louis City to increase the pay and the numbers of police officers. And there's no appetite for that by the current mayor and the current president of the Board of Aldermen. And if you if you don't have the police assets to deploy on the street, then you're going to have a fundamental problem, whether you're prosecuting the criminals or not. And so you are correct, Michael, mark the tape, uh, that this this one action alone is not going to solve the crime problem that plague us. One from one dysfunctional operation to another. We talk about the Missouri legislature and, John, that would be sports gaming. Nearly every state around us have legalized uh, Internet betting. And some factor or another, the Cardinals, the Blues, the Chiefs, and the Royals have all been working hard to allow some Missouri to be like states like, I don't know, Iowa, Arkansas, uh, Kansas, uh, which would allow sports betting in the state of Missouri. The dysfunction of the Republicans in Jefferson City continues to prevail. They don't seem to care about much what happens in the urban area. And as a result, it doesn't look like we're going to get a sports gaming bill done. Well, look, there's good reason why they're doing what they're doing. You've got 10,000 or more of these quasi-legal, quasi-illegal video poker machines that are in convenience stores all over the state. They're not regulated. Uh, The taxes are not going to where the other gambling revenue goes. We're not quite sure how much they're making. Some estimates say that they're producing a billion dollars of revenue. Uh, And they're completely unregulated and the the argument is being made in Jefferson City that if you're going to have sports gaming and you know I don't think there's any real opposition to sports gaming and if you're going to regulate it then you need to make sure that all gaming is regulated and and that that's really what the holdup is here and you know for those that are clamoring for sports gaming I do think it's going to eventually come it might have to require an initiative petition process at this point uh, that the Cardinals and others would would put together in order to get that done. I think it would pass handily by the voters. And, you know, it's it's not a huge moneymaker for the state, but it's it's an activity that a lot of people seem to enjoy, you know, the betting on sports games. The gambling companies are becoming very involved in all of the broadcasting 
of all of the sports. The, the money lines are, you know, advertised throughout the course of games and so forth. And so, you know, it's coming and it's going to happen. Well, maybe you think that the circuit attorney situation doesn't affect you, and you've probably been listening to sports gaming. You say, you know what, that doesn't really affect me. Well, this next topic does. It affects every person in our country, and that is the debt ceiling debate that's taking place in Washington, D.C. We have to extend the debt ceiling by June 1st, or potentially the federal government could default on some of its loans. Uh, this is paying past debts that this, that, that this country has spent. Uh, the Republicans have passed a piece of legislation through the House, and we're setting up for uh, uh, some type of a stalemate between the White House and the House of Representatives. Mitch McConnell washed his hands of it yesterday and says, hey, look, I have nothing to do with this. This is all up to Speaker McCarthy. John, if we go off this cliff, it's going to affect every one of us in our 401ks and in our economy and the cost of goods and services. Please tell me that you don't think that the Republicans and the president are going to take us to the brink of an absolute economic meltdown. Well, they're going to take us to the brink. Uh, there's no question about that. And I, I, Biden wanting to negotiate this out with Mitch McConnell makes no sense because Mitch McConnell doesn't bring anything to the table. Uh, the negotiation is between no the, the, the president and, and Kevin McCarthy, and they need to work it out. The president needs to agree to some cuts in spending. Uh, I don't think he needs to acquiesce to everything that was in the House passed bill. But he needs to do that, and if he does that, and if they sit down, I think this thing will get resolved. The The problem, of course, if you do default, is that a lot of economists predict that that would cause a deepening uh, recession, which would not be good for anybody. Well, the topic of the Cardinals will be up when we come back after the first of the hour, and not everything about the Cardinals is depressing, is it? Our own Tom Ackerman's got a big day ahead, and he's going to join us after the news at the top of the hour. It's Hancock and Kelly on a Friday morning in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. Well, unfortunately, over the last several months, it's just been a barrage of depressing news coming out of St. Louis. And uh, if you look at what's happened with the Cardinals, it can't get much more depressing than that. Yes. But I've got a bright spot for you. A historical day, Michael. Our own Tom Ackerman, the sports director of KMOX, will be in the broadcast booth tonight on Valley Fort... Yeah, Valley Sports, Sports Midwest, Michael. Midwest. And he joins us now here on KMOX. Tom, despite how bad the Cardinals are, a dream come true for you tonight, my friend. Yeah, it'd be even better if they play well. I mean, you want a great, entertaining product, and I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, it'll be a fun night uh, regardless for me just to be up there and be in the booth. But, you know, you're basically just carrying the message of the team, uh, what they do on the field. and. Oop, I think maybe we disconnected from our own Tom Ackerman. The product, oh, there you know, and, and Jim Edmonds and I will be up in the booth talking about it. Yeah, you know, and you've started here, yeah. you know, right out, of, right out of college. And you, uh, you know, rose to become the sports director at KMOX. I have to imagine, given your passion for sports, that doing play-by-play for a St. Louis Cardinal game is something that you probably have dreamed about for many years. This has got to be... Uh, just a, an amazing day in the life of Tom Ackerman today. Well, we're having some issues with the bridge over here. Well, maybe he'll call in. Uh, he's on the bridge, which means that he's sitting in his house on a computer. He is. But hopefully we'll get him to call I'm in. I'm here, guys. Oh, there he there is. He is. Oh, go right ahead, Tom. You guys hear me? Yeah, you, yes, we sir. can. Yes, we can. No, we can't. You're going to have to call in on the phone line. But I'm excited to hear Tom. You know, Tom is... Well, I hope we can hear him. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, there he is. Uh, go right ahead, Tom. Yeah, sorry about that. So what happened, I'm actually doing this on my iPhone. Very, very uh, amazing app, actually. Uh, but it doesn't work so well when you get a phone call. So uh, the, <laughs> the phone rang. And uh, I just put myself in airplane mode. That's how it works. All right, stop so calling Tom Ackerman out there. Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> so to answer your question, it is a dream come true. Um, I know I probably got cut off when I was talking earlier, but really, you know, you are bringing it to people. So it really is up to the product that's on the field. And the Cardinals playing well 
will be even better. And we want to, of course, have an entertaining broadcast. But if they don't play well, you got to be able to tell people what's going on. And that's why having Jim Edmonds up there, a player that I covered and, and have spent a lot of time around, will be great for me. I love being able to talk ball with him and kind of get his perspective on things and what's going on out there. I mean, this team is not playing well. And for a lot of reasons it's not for whatever reason it's for a lot of reasons yeah. we can sit there and pick them apart and we'll you know, we'll do some of that tonight unless they turn this thing around and put some energy in the place yeah i would like to talk baseball with you here in a minute but tom you know uh i i heard you speak the other day and you talked about how your father uh got you into baseball uh, of course your father died you had uh, shared it when you were quite young this has to be a special day not only for tom ackerman but for your mom and the rest of your family too uh, as part of what you'll be doing tonight is honoring your father. I really appreciate it. I will be. And, you know, my dad, when I was young, uh, took me to games just like many of your fathers did and, and moms did. Uh, my dad really supported my interest in broadcasting. And that was the biggest thing for me is that, you know, we had a family business. My dad was in the drapery business. He was the co-founder of Sunshine Drapery, if people remember that on page. And, you know, I was in line to follow him in that business. And when I was a kid, he saw my interest in broadcasting and I he supported it and, and helped me be around sports. Uh, we were very friendly with a lot of coaches and former coaches. And when I was growing up, I learned how they talk to each other, coaches and, and former athletes. And I spent a lot of time around people in sports and, you know, traveled around with my dad. He was my best friend. And, and so to be able to do that was a huge, huge building block for me. And when he died of a heart attack in 1993, so almost 30 years ago, I had just graduated from high school. And, you know, here again, he went to the University of Missouri. I fell in love with Indiana and, he didn't even blink. He said, you know, well, let's go look at it. And we went to Indiana and, and here's this Missouri Tiger through and through who said, you know, I know you want to go to Indiana to study broadcasting. And, and I did. And, and um, you know, it was it, growing up and having that support where he said to me, I'll never forget. He said this. He said it, what the what you're trying to get into is very competitive. He said, but I support it. And I'm, I'm I know you're going to do it you know he said do you want to do this and i said yes he said then you will you will do this and it, you know it takes a lot of hard work and look at but, you now you know, so i think about him all the time and yeah definitely i mean being up there tonight uh, he'll be right there with me well the, the drapes are going to open on the play-by-play <laughs> career of tom ackerman this evening down at bush stadium against the detroit tigers do, do you have a uh, signature home run call yet no, I think we'll just let it see how it goes, you know, see how it goes. When the ball goes out, see what I say. I don't know. Well, I think I think it has to be spontaneous, whatever you end up saying. And I think it depends on the home run and situation, too. So I think they're all going to be a little bit different. Well, there I'm you go. And let's hope that the, we get this thing turned around. Jordan Montgomery on the hill tonight for the Cardinals. He's been, you know, arguably our most effective starting pitcher uh, this season on a consistent basis. Uh, none of the starting pitching has been anything to write home about. Jake Flaherty with a, just a horrible outing yesterday. Uh, Adam Wainwright comes back on Saturday. You're going to be calling that game as well. What do you expect to see out of Adam Wainwright as he takes the mound here for his final season? Well, he'll definitely battle. You know, I don't know how much you can expect. Is he going to go in and dominate a game? But there's no doubt he's going to go in there and try to be as efficient and he'll be super competitive and give you the best chance to win. And, you know, this goes back to what Jack did yesterday. What Jack needs to do, what all these starters need to do is just settle things down and be stable. Nobody is asking them to dominate a game, although that would be great. I think what we need to get back to here is that the starting pitcher on that day, you can look and say, all right, we're good today if you're the Cardinals. We're good today. Now let's go get our four, five, six runs and get out of here and, and get this win because our pitcher is going to give us a chance to win. It does start there. And yesterday that game was basically over in the third inning or second inning. you know. And, and that's what Adam will try to do. That's what Jordan Montgomery is going to try to do tonight. And that is the number one thing with this team is the rotation's got to get things settled. And then everything else, I think – should start to normalize. I mean, the, Nolan Arenado is not going to be like this all year. 
The defense is not going to be like this. It should get back to where it used to be. The base running should be a plus. They just haven't had enough people on base to do anything. And they've got to get back to the point where they're playing consistent ball, but it probably will take a jolt of something. I mean, it's got to be one big moment in a game that loosens everybody up, or maybe it does take one of the players, a leader in that clubhouse, to say, hey, guys. I mean, they don't have to flip over tables or anything, but say, you know, to grab this thing and be the leader and say, we need to be better. And, um, you know, and everybody understands what their role is and their role will contribute to consistent winning and it's easier said than done but the cardinals are in a situation here where if they don't get it going soon it's going to be over yeah i mean that's that's quite clear and you know there's no silver bullet out there in terms of a stopgap measure bringing somebody up uh, acquiring somebody nobody's going to trade talent at this stage of the season uh, in any kind of meaningful way. So there, there's no such thing as a quick fix for this team. We're going to have to sink or swim with the, with the cast we've got, right? Yeah, I mean, the, they could make a trade in July, but until then, there aren't enough teams that think they're out of it. I mean, the Pittsburgh Pirates are leading the division, for crying out loud. So, you know, you've got a lot of teams that still think they're really good, and I think that some teams are going to eventually fall out of the race, and the Cardinals could very well be one of those that are going to have players to move but until then you know there is no quick fix on the outside everybody has leverage on you now everyone knows what the cardinals problems are so you know you've got to just ride this thing out now you could dip into memphis i mean matthew libertor has been really good you could go get him and put him in the rotation zach thompson's being stretched out to be a starter which is i think pretty smart move actually i think he's really good um but that's a ways away you know so there is no the Cardinals, no, Jordan Walker coming back is not going to fix the team as good as he is. You know what's going to fix the team? The stars have to be great. They get paid a lot of money to do it. Goldschmidt, Arenado, Contreras, starting pitching. And if they are, then everything will come back to normal. I just fear that 12 games under 500 is a really deep hole. And anything lower than that, uh, they're not going to be able to climb out of that crater. Well, we're all going to be tuned in tonight. I certainly am. Tom Ackerman making his debut as the voice of the Cardinals on Valley Sports Midwest doing the play-by-play for this weekend series against the Detroit Tigers. Tom, congratulations. We are so proud of you. Uh, Bring us a a couple of winners at least, huh? Boys, I appreciate your support. I'm going to do my best, see if we can get a little uh, mojo going, get this team going. All right. Speaking of mojo, it's uh, good to be on the Supreme Court. And uh, Michael Kelly and I are going to talk about our Supreme Court when we come back after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference on News Radio 1120, KMOX. You know, before we hop into this conversation on the Supreme Court, yeah. you know, Tom Ackerman, uh, just, I, you know, people use these phrases a lot about human beings, but just a super dude, like one of the good guys. Well, that's what people often say about me. Yeah. <laughs> but Tom really is. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's just such a, a great guy. He deserves it. And he does. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing him broadcast tonight. Now, many of you, like me, listen only to KMOX when you're listening to the ball game. But uh, tonight, if you happen to find yourself in front of a TV, Flip on uh, Fox, uh, not Fox, Bally Bally Sports, Sports Midwest, Midwest and, and check out Tommy A there as he's going to be uh, in the booth. Maybe Big he can night. help change our luck. Big night for him tonight. I'm really happy for him. Here's a guy who's got a lot of luck, John Hancock. That would be the Supreme Court justice. Name is Clarence Thomas. We've heard about the fact that he's been going on half-million-dollar trips around the world with Harlan Crow. We now have heard that uh, he has uh, also had his child's School payments paid for by, well, guess what? I think it's his nephew. Or his nephew yeah. by Harlan Crow. Mm-hmm. We've heard that his mother's home was purchased and she got to live rent-free by, uh, guess who? Harlan yeah, it was, uh, Crow. Crow. Yeah. And, John, now we find out that Jenny Thomas has been receiving money by a Supreme Court activist. Uh, how much more can this court take? I mean, you know, with institutions being... Uh, essentially blown up by presidents, uh, former presidents, and members of Congress. You know, the one stable institution in our country had always been the Supreme Court. And I have to tell you, I think they've got to be in the weakest position they've been in a long time. Well, it, it brings 
to light, I think, the fact that uh, given the makeup of our Constitution and what we have chosen to invest in the court, you've got nine justices. It hasn't always been nine. Sometimes there was seven. I think there was ten at one point maybe. Uh, but it's a small number of people who are the final arbiters of the Constitution and what it means, what laws are allowed to stand, what laws are struck. They have um, just an incredible role. It's a lifetime appointment. Once you're confirmed by the Senate, you're there until you die, unless you decide to leave. Or you're impeached. Or or you're impeached, which is not going to happen here. Well, why not? I mean, wait a minute. We, We had story after story about Kim Gardner. And people were all up in arms on it. It's been a drip, 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 drip. We're seeing the same thing here with Clarence Thomas. I mean, how much more evidence and how what what does he have to do to finally get kicked off this court? Well, yeah, I'm just saying, just stating the obvious, he's not going to be impeached. I don't think anybody is ever going to be impeached uh, and removed from office in this country because the standard of two-thirds vote in the Senate is just not going to happen. So, so even though people may recognize that there was corruption or malfeasance, yeah, and I don't know, they're just not going to do it because why? A political uh, agenda? C- corruption is is a, a bit of a stretch here. What would you uh, call? What we're I would call it a severe ethical lapse of judgment, <laughs> and uh, and it's you know it's not good. There's no there's no evidence that he was taking payoffs to make certain rulings. Uh, that would be corruption. That would be quid pro quo. I don't think that's the case that's being that's been made here. But what the case that has been made here is that he has taken uh, payments to his wife and benefits to himself and his family um, in a in a unethical manner for someone who has as much power as the Supreme Louis Court. Reed's in judgment. jail for that. Yeah, it's not. Uh, you know, it's it's very unfortunate. Uh, Clarence Thomas is a historic figure on the court. Uh, he's been a very consistent conservative justice. He's been an originalist uh, in his approach to the Constitution. I like his I like his jurisprudence, but uh, the the judgment here to receive these things and think that there's somehow nothing wrong with it is uh, is an incredible blind spot. But this is on the heels of the Supreme Court leak, and the Supreme Court did its own investigation, and guess what? They didn't find out any problems. They're probably going to say they're going to do an investigation on this. Chief Justice Roberts is probably not going to find anything. John, we've been watching institutions. We've watched Republicans attacking the FBI. We've seen folks attacking the CIA. We've seen folks attack the United States Capitol, for goodness sakes. Now we have what many of us see as corruption on the inside of the Supreme Court, or in your words, a bad look. I mean, how much... How much more can our institutions take? This was the one institution that seemed to be above it all, and now it looks like it's no different than the rest of them. Well, and that is a really good point because uh, I don't know that we've ever really looked under the hood at the court. The court is shrouded in a great good deal of secrecy. They, They meet and make their decisions behind closed doors. There's no press involved uh, they're at the hearings whenever the court holds hearings but, but we've not really in in my lifetime anyway taken a serious look inside the court uh it's a very insular institution and uh, you know if there's any good to come out of this perhaps it is that we're but, going to take we're going to take some ethical but, standards much more seriously, and we're going to pay a lot we, more attention. Chief I think Justice we Roberts yeah. is stonewalling. Dick Durbin, the leader of the Senate Judiciary Committee, has asked the Chief Justice to come up and testify before the Supreme Court or before the Senate Judiciary Committee. He says he's not going to do it. This is the same guy who had an investigation on the leak, and guess what? Couldn't find anything. Nothing to see. No worries here. Are we really going to take a severe look, or are we just yeah, going to go whistling past the grave? No, here? no, I think we are, and the, you know clearly there needs to be uh, much better spelled out ethics guidelines for these justices and 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 potentially their staff as well, uh, because they do have it's nine people. You know, the Senate's a hundred people, the House is four thirty five. This is nine people who have a profound effect on the inner workings of this country and how our Constitution is interpreted and utilized. And it deserves much more scrutiny than they've been getting getting, uh, heretofore. When you are in the game of politics, uh, as you and I are, we meet lots of people, people who are power hungry, people who 
are do-gooders, people who uh, have uh, intentions in running for office that may not be that great. Uh, but occasionally you come across somebody who's just a decent person. Uh, and that's going to be our next guest, Ambassador Kevin O'Malley, who was the ambassador to Ireland right here from St. Louis, Missouri. Think about that. Yeah. Ireland is one of the more prominent countries in the world. It is. What a peach of a job that he had being the ambassador during the Obama administration. He was just back over there. And he was just there with the current president of the United States visiting Ireland. We're going to visit with Kevin O'Malley about his trip to Ireland, see what he's up to, and see if anything's changed on the Emerald Isle. After this, right here on X. Find out what's happening with your Redbirds from the manager himself, Oliver Marmol. Sunday mornings at 10.15 on Sports on a Sunday morning. And Wednesday mornings at 9.50. The Ollie Marmol Show. I'm excited for not only the club, but for the fans. This is a, this is a special year for sure. KMOX is Cardinals Radio. Well, I said it before the break. I'll say it again while he's right here. Um, one of the kindest, sweetest people I've Great ever guy. met in politics Great is uh, the former ambassador who resides right here in St. Louis, former ambassador to Ireland, that is. He's Kevin O'Malley. Ambassador, welcome back to KMOX. Thank you for the kind words, and it's nice to be back. Yeah, we're glad to have you. You just recently returned from a trip to Ireland. You went with the current president of the United States, a very historic trip. Uh, This would be the second Irish president of the United States, Irish Catholic, I might add, who went back to Ireland. Uh, And uh, tell us a little bit about the trip and what you were up to. So the trip was, uh, in a word, magical. Um, President Biden has a longstanding uh, love for Ireland. He quotes Irish poets uh, at the drop of a hat. Uh, for some historic reasons, which we can talk about later. But uh, he he wanted to go back to Ireland. When I was serving as ambassador, he came and stayed with us for about a week, uh, brought his family. He had never done Ireland as a tourist before. So he asked me if I would help the genealogical research and uh, set up a tour for him, and and I did. And he lived in our house, uh, the, the ambassador's residence. And uh, he really enjoyed that trip, and he wanted to do it again. And the um, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreements, the peace agreement that uh, brought uh, brought uh, the end of the killing, um, uh, he wanted to mark that anniversary because it's a big deal. Yeah, and the the Irish refer to it as the troubles between Northern Ireland and Ireland. A lot of that's been bubbling up again. The president first went to Northern Ireland and then went down to the Republic. Uh, you were along for all of that. Uh, how was he received, and is this situation in Ireland boiling to a point where we could go back to what we experienced in the 70s and 80s? Okay, so only in Ireland could terrorist activities be referred to as the Troubles. Um, <laughs> it's an interesting uh, name that they've they've given to it. Um, the the end of the the end of the Troubles, the end of the killing um, in uh, 25 years ago was a was a monumental. Uh, issue for the island of Ireland, and because the violence sometimes spilled over into the United Kingdom, uh, it was a big deal for them. So the president wanted to uh, wanted to commemorate that in in a very special way. And it, it, to answer the question, is it bubbling up? There is Brexit has complicated this issue dramatically, um, but I think that the the appetite for violence has died out with a number of the people who were the violent perpetrators of of the terrorist activities. Um, the, women of our, the women of the North and the Republic uh, made their position very clear that they wanted this, uh, they wanted this killing, this indiscriminate bombing uh, and uh, killing to stop, and uh, they were the force that really started it. And uh, I think, we're, I think the, the, the chance of violence is less now than it has been, but the Brexit complicates the story. Ambassador Kevin O'Malley is our guest. He was the ambassador to the Republic of Ireland under the Obama administration. He's a St. Louisan, and he's joining us in studio this morning. The relationship between Northern Ireland and Ireland in the context of the U.K., and Brexit, as you mentioned, is a very complicated situation. Uh, what what were the ramifications in Northern Ireland uh, over Brexit? Because there there was some accommodations that had to take place. So I think it's you have to start with the vote. Uh, the people of Northern Ireland voted narrowly, but but nonetheless voted to stay within the European mm-hmm. Union. So they are already at odds with their colleagues, their countrymen 
in uh, in England and in Scotland and Wales, although Scotland also voted to stay. Um, so that that set up a little bit of a of a of a break. But I think that Northern Ireland has has always been the problem child for the UK. Um, the troubles certainly didn't help it uh, at all. I mean, a lot of British soldiers were sent over, uh, were victimized, were shot at, killed um, in, during during the troubles. So it's um, I think that's been a, a really big issue for them. And the, the, now the issue is, should there be a hard border between the north and the south? At, at present time, since the Good Friday Agreements, you can drive from Dublin to Belfast in two hours and not really know that you've changed countries uh, because there, there, is, there has been no border between them because they were both members of the European Union. Now that the UK has withdrawn from the European Union. There is, in fact, um, an issue with there should should there be a, a hard border, and that's the problem. So you were with the President of the United States, Joe Biden. One of the narratives that exists right now, being proposed by many of the people on the other side of the aisle, is that the president's too old, uh, and that he just doesn't have the stamina and energy that's necessary to be president of the United States. You just spent a week with this man. What was your observation? So I I can honestly say to you that he w- I was exhausted at the end of this trip, and he worked a lot harder than I did. Um, he, he, we would leave the hotel and, and, and start out on the mission generally early in the morning around breakfast time, and we were finishing up uh, sometimes well after midnight. And the president was on his feet and engaged that entire time. We had rest periods, the, the small delegation that was with them. We could um, – there were times where we weren't engaged. But he was engaged every minute of the day. And, um, you know, I make, I make plenty of room for the, for, the, for the argument that President Biden is too liberal or is too conservative depending on what your view is. But I think anyone who spent any amount of time with him – would not debate uh, his stamina and his mental ability. What's a what's a presidential trip like that like? Uh, so you're along. There's a you say a smaller entourage. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of White House staff. I would imagine the schedule is just chock full and very detailed. What's what's the experience like? Um, the word I used is magical uh, for a, a St. Louisan to be able to be um, uh, at at this close uh, proximity to the president and the adulation that he received in Ireland was, uh, was uh, th- that's the best word I can use is magical. E- everything was well scripted, um, but the president um, it doesn't follow scripts. Um, <laughs> and if he saw a concierge that he thought um, needed to be talked to, he would stop and talk to him. He, he is, um, you know, I, I think the best way to explain it is what you see uh, with President Biden is what you get. He is a decent human being who likes people. He genuinely likes people. And it's hard to pull him away from a conversation with with anybody, uh, whether they don't have to have a title or be important or have money. He, if, if he sees, and I mean, I, I, I watched this, he, would, he saw the concierge and he just stopped and talked to him for a while. Um, he, he is, he's very easy to be with and, and a very decent man. How long have you known Joe Biden? Um, so I first met him uh, when President Obama called and asked me to be the ambassador to Ireland. The very next call I got so this is in 2014, was from mm-hmm. Vice President Biden uh, asking to, if he could swear me in um, after the Senate confirmation process. So I've known him, I've known him since then, um, uh, but I think the time – he was, he was uh, someone I talked to during – when I was going through the Senate confirmation process. And then he came – as I said, he came and stayed with us for a week in Ireland. Ambassador, uh, there's so many things that uh, Missouri and the United States can learn from Ireland, particularly as it relates to the economy. Would you stick around in the next segment? We can kind of talk about what some of those lessons will be. Absolutely. He's Ambassador Kevin O'Malley. That's my good buddy, John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. We'll be back after this on KMOX. Local news and information direct to your smart speaker. Just say, play KMOX. 
Former ambassador to Ireland, Kevin O'Malley's in studio. He's uh, just one of the sweetest human beings you'll ever meet, and he's one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet, and he's kind enough to spend some time with us. Kevin, I'm partial to you being Irish myself. Spent some time over in Ireland uh, last year. Um, And what was interesting to me, when you think of Ireland, you probably think of, you know, the beautiful rolling hills, all those sheep, maybe golf courses, shamrocks. But this is an economy that's on fire. These are people who have not just relying on tourism to to mobilize their economy. This is growing specifically in the tech industry. What's up? They figured it out. Um, The Irish folks have figured out a a whole bunch of things which – results in their country, uh, the Republic of Ireland, leading the European Union in gross domestic product. Uh, Their economy is, using your words, and they're accurate, it's on fire. Um, Some of that has come from the United States. We have been a, we are the largest um, supporter of Ireland's economy through our businesses. There are um, over a thousand American multinational corporations now headquartered in Ireland They hire Irish people. They're run by Irish um, managers, and we use them. Uh, This is the top flight of our tech industry, the top flight of our pharmaceutical industry. We use Ireland, uh, and that's the proper way to say it. We use Ireland and the Irish as our jumping-off point to the largest market in the world, the European Union. So the Intel, Apple, Pfizer, they they use their bases in Ireland, again, run by Irish people, but American multinational companies, to reach the market in Germany, Switzerland, Italy, France. And that's one of the ways that Ireland has jumped on um, the prosperity that uh, really permeates the entire country. Well, what's the what's the prevalence of energy access in Ireland? Do they are they do they have natural resources? Do they have to import their? They are energy oil? dependent. They are. There, there, are, there is no. Um, there is no real energy. And, and source were now. they were they somewhat dependent on Russia at the time of the Ukrainian uh, outbreak? No, they they are they are less dependent on on Russia than um, Germany. Than, than certainly Germany. Yeah. yeah. And interesting, you bring that up. I, in this last trip, I had a number of conversations in the few seconds of free time that we had with some of my friends. And I learned that Ireland, a country of four and a half million people, only four and a half million people, about half the size of Missouri geographically, mm-hmm. has already taken in 70,000 Ukrainian refugees. Wow. They're good folks. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, you, when many of us think of the troubles and what's gone on, you were surprisingly shared with us, John and I thought, well, it's related to religion, right? It's the Catholics and the Protestants fighting with each other. But it kind of goes to what you were talking about at the very beginning of this segment, which is the economy. Yeah, it really it really doesn't have anything to do with religion or Jesus um, or um, it, it had to do with it had to do with the economy and privilege. Um, as it turned out uh, during the 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 Protestant majority in North Ireland had the privilege. They were the people that owned the land. They were the people that had access to the government. They were the people that ran things. And they didn't let the minority Catholics in. And so that festered up, and eventually the Catholics decided that they didn't want to participate in that any longer, and they they, they took to the streets, and then the troubles, the troubles began. Interestingly, um, because Catholics procreate faster than Protestants. Uh, <laughs> there, there are currently more Catholics in Northern Ireland than that. This just happened this year, and it's just, it's just a demographic change. They're, they're not voting age Catholics yet, but there are more Catholics in Northern Ireland. During the, uh, my visit, what was shocking to me was Ireland has become a refuge for the Ukrainians. Whole hotels have been taken over and given to these Ukrainian refugees Ireland's playing an integral part in supporting the war against Russia. Yeah, it's a small country, so and it it's it doesn't have an army to speak of or a navy. To, well, it, it doesn't have a sizable. I shouldn't I shouldn't denigrate them by saying that they don't exist. But it, it but it's not a it's not a force. So, but they they're doing what they do so well in every other aspect. They're hospitable, and so they've taken in. And when you think about the numbers, seventy thousand Ukrainian refugees. In a country of only four and a half million people, that's 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 making a statement that we are here to help. 
Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Kevin O'Malley is our guest. He's the former United States ambassador to the Republic of Ireland under the Obama administration. He's just returned a few weeks ago from a trip to Ireland with President Biden. He's kind enough to join us in studio this morning. The two and a half years you spent as an ambassador, probably not something that was on your bucket list when you were a was young not. lad. No. Uh, how did it come about? And, and walk me through a typical day in the life yeah. of the U.S. Ambassador, the ambassador in Ireland. So it, it's uh, it's a pretty good gig. Uh, <laughs> if if there's a better job, I haven't heard about it. Um, so it, but it came about in a very in in a, in a different way. So seventy um, percent of our ambassadors are career foreign service right. officers, and thirty percent are people like me who had other careers. I I ha- I was a practicing trial lawyer for my whole career. Started with the Department of Justice for ten years, and then went into private practice. Um, I got involved with the uh, Obama administration, uh, Obama campaign, probably before there was much of a campaign. I spent a lot of time in Iowa, but as a volunteer, I didn't have mm-hmm. any job or any title or whatnot. And uh, we won Iowa, and uh, and then I just continued on um, through through the rest of the campaign as a volunteer, again with no title, no no job description, just a guy who showed up and went around the country um, uh, for the uh, for the then. Uh, Senator Obama, he got elected, and um, eventually they asked me if I would um, was interested in an ambassadorship, and I said I was, but never for in my wildest dreams thought of Ireland. It, that's generally reserved for that's a, very, a plum. Yeah, it's it's in the top five. Yeah, uh, and for an Irish American, that's the only one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, I, I, it, it's generally reserved for a wealthy um, donor or wealthy bundler, and I wasn't that. I didn't raise money for. President Obama at all. So uh, when when the call came to go to Ireland, I could not. Uh, that was a that was a surprise. A typical day is um, it, it's you're living in a very beautiful home with um, a full staff, and um, the job is generally divided into two things. One, there's the inside job where you're running the embassy. You're the chief. Uh, representative of the president, the president's personal representative. So you are in charge of everything American in your country. Mm-hmm. And, and the American embassy in Dublin has about 250 employees. Wow. They come, and that's about a, that's a medium size embassy. They come uh, from the state department, the commerce department, agriculture department, the intelligence community, the law enforcement community. And the ambassador's job is to sort of make a symphony out of that. Um, each of these agencies have their own personality. And so um, that's what the ambassador does during the day. And then there's the engagement with the uh, other ambassadors and the government on the outside. Yeah. Kevin O'Malley, thank you so much. Uh, fascinating as always. Appreciate your time today. So if, if can I add a little commercial here? You can add, the, you can do whatever well, you want. Well, you're very kind. But um, I, I listen to you folks a lot um, here and elsewhere, and I, I, I want to add my own commercial. I, I think the example that you give of a Democrat and Republican talking to one another, just simply talking to one another is a good thing. The, the, um, the ability to joke with one another, to keep your own positions, but be able to, to dialogue with one another is really uh, – sets a good example for all of us. I wish there was a lot more of it, and I, I, think, I think most of us in the U.S. want – what you guys are doing. We want to be able to talk to people who have different views. We just have kind of lost our way. I told you he's one of the sweetest people. Great guy. Yeah. Kevin O'Malley, thank you so much for your time. The show is right around the corner. Amy and Chris will be here. Michael and I will stick around, and we're going to go play a little snooker. We'll be back after the news on KMOX.